electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. And tonight on Fast Money, we are diving into the metaverse in real life, IRL. And it's not just the Robloxes and former Facebooks making waves in the space. We've got the inside scoop on the virtual plays that can make you actual money. Plus, casino stocks for the win. Americans are traveling and spending money like crazy. Plus, some developments out of China that are helping the stocks move higher as well. Contessa, big money brewers here and then... It would not be the holidays without a special fast money version of trade it or fade it to stuff your stocking. We're going to find out the desk is wrapping or scrapping some of December's winning nest stocks. All right, everybody, welcome. I am Brian in tonight for Melissa Lee and your trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso and Bono and Ison. Welcome, everybody. We have got a big show ahead and we begin with another kind of big win. And that is a new record high for the S&P 500. The index plowing ahead, up more than half a percent today. It is now up more than 4% from that intraday low on Monday when all the headlines were screaming about Omicron and were doomed. And now we're up four days. Three days later, in fact, another record. If you're counting at home, the 68th record closing high for the S&P 500 this year, second most of all time. And it is not just the S&P 500. All three major indexes posting three straight days of gains heading into the holiday week and the holiday weekend. Tim Seymour, what's changed? What's going on? Well, remember, we're through a Fed meeting. Brian, first of all, thanks for joining us. Merry Christmas. We've gotten through some of the uncertainty. Uh, We've dealt with the Build Back Better bust. We, we've had the dynamic of Omicron and, and the sense that actually, look, uh, if anything, some of the trends we're going to discuss on tonight's show are around reopening stocks, around hospitality, travel, etc. So uh, I just think, you know, you have a dynamic. We know about the seasonals. Um, I think, you know, we're getting back to levels that the market started the month with where, you know, I'm going to make the argument really that the Santa Claus rally was from the October low to, you know, essentially the first couple days of December before we went into this pullback that I think was uh, obviously, I, I should say, you know, some of the hangover from uh, the Omicron uh, 20 day after Thanksgiving. But the dynamic really, I think a lot of this has been fed. Um, I think we, we've gotten through a Fed meeting. We have an understanding where uh, the Fed is predisposed at this point. And I think in that sense, you've taken some of this out of the way. Um, if you look at the parts of the market that are outperforming over the last couple days. You are seeing cyclical stuff working. You are seeing, though, the comfort of mega cap tech. And and as we've also said many times over the last two, three, four months um, below the surface, it's really the pain that you've seen across a number of the subsectors, including retail, including some of the discretionary industrials. Um, and, and that's the stuff that actually is getting some rotation here. So we, you know, we've argued you can have a, a better market environment without the index doing that much. And that's really what um, today felt like to me. Uh, I think obviously, again, as you noted, we're up four, four plus percent in triple Qs. We're up close to five percent off those intraday lows on Monday. It's been a big, big move. And I think the, the health of the market, though, is what I'm seeing below the surface. 
Yeah, let's dive a little bit more below the surface. Stephen Grasso, if I look here on my screens and I look at the best performing stocks this week, a lot of them, to Tim's point, are those, quote, reopen trades here. Darden Restaurants, Bloomin' Brands, Red Robin, the restaurant stocks, the hotel stocks, the airline stocks. The market is saying that they're sort of putting COVID and Omicron and whatever, the next strain, in the rearview mirror. Is that, though, the right move? Yeah, I think that is the right move. And, I, and I've seen you tweet about this and you've mentioned this. What's impressive, Brian, is that airports and security checks at airports have processed more people than before the actual pandemic happened. So this time in December 2019, uh, compared uh, to, to right now, it seems like people are shrugging this off, figuring out how to travel, so I, I do believe you're going to see energy, material, the back, the reopening stocks rally again. But also, to Tim's point, I think you framed it nicely. When you look back to 2020, when, this all, when we bottomed in the market, the Fed came out and said they were going to buy anything. We we're worried about virus, vaccines. We we're really early on that. Virus, vaccines. And we weren't even thinking about rates. Now we're worried about rates, but I don't think there's going to be an overreach. I think uh, Chairman Powell had to say what he had to say for the market, but I don't believe the dot plots are going to be nearly as aggressive as, as most people think that they should be. I think he has the, uh, the, the card to pull in his pocket that variant or the next variant or the variant after that is going to keep a lid on his side of policy uh, if at all, um, limiting growth at all. But I, I don't think you're going to see that. I think what you're going to see is yeah. all those back-to-work stocks really rally. But the key is uh, you're going to see those large-cap tech names, which are both value and growth, still perform and keep the market up. Yeah, yeah, and Bonwin, I mean, listen, just anecdotally, I was at Newark Airport last night. Nobody cares, but I've never seen it more crowded, and I fly a lot. It was absolutely bonkers. I only mention that because the XAL airline ETF is up 8.5% in one week. I referenced the restaurants as well, but we have seen this before. We have seen these stocks outperform. Algos get all hot and heavy. Retail investors jump in. We get a nasty headline, and they fall back. Would you be comfortable buying some of those types of names, dining, hotels, airlines, et cetera? Uh, yeah, you, you're going to have to be comfortable, right? Because at the end of the day, we're all in this game to invest for yield. And ultimately, the playbook that you're seeing to the other two panelists' point are some of the reopening trades. And, and to an extent, particularly if you look over the course of two years, uh, rather than just a snapshot of like more recent data, those have been the laggards, and, and that is the playbook. The difference is that you're going to have to understand and be willing to stomach a bit more volatility, as you've seen over the course of the last week. Now, juxtapose that with the fact that a lot of volatility around virus, how to treat virus, vaccinations, travel protocols, work protocols, work from home, all of that stuff, we have a, it is much less opaque. It's much more transparent. We know how to do that. So that, that pocket of volatility has been removed. You know, I do think that, particularly as the rate picture kind of shakes out, people are going to have to forego some of the more conservative investments in order to meet their yield criteria. And because of that, you're going to see shifts away from some fixed income um, type of assets and into mm -hmm. some lower beta 
um, um, equity type of assets. And so there's going to be the volatility on that top end of the range. Uh, Tim kind of spoke to it in terms of it may not bear out in terms of the entire index, but it, but in terms of pockets, you will certainly see that. So you're going to barbell as opposed to what was previously fixed income with equity type risk. You're going to barbell within equities, taking lower beta on one end of the barbell and higher beta. And that higher beta is going to continue to have volatility, but that's just what that's the landscape now. Um, and, and, I, and I see that continuing in the foreseeable future. Yeah, and Tim, I mean, to, to Bonowin's point about yield, let us not forget this. The 10-year yield is still under 1.5%. It's at 1.49%. In other exactly. words, you are exactly. literally losing money on a real basis with inflation by owning U.S. government debt. The Tina trade. There is no alternative. Seems like it's still going strong. No. Well, it, it, and we've we've been struggling with you know whether the ten-year yield, for example, is is pricing in almost too much Fed uh, and and starting to get to a place where it's looking at the the growth side of the equation, uh, even though we know that there's inflation, um, and and that's that's part of the concern here. And in fact, on the days when we've had some of the bigger market moves, it's really been with a ten-year that's been moving higher. So, um, like I, I think we're at a place where uh, we are probably going to have to pay the price for a lot of stimulus and a lot of pulling forward even on corporate earnings as we get some time into 22. Um, as has been mentioned, you know, whether, whether the Fed can be as aggressive as possible in 23 or as they, in 22, excuse me, as, as they've maybe tried to diagnose to the guy, uh, communicate to the market in, in the last meeting, you know, I, I don't know that. Um, I do think that in an environment where yields move uh, up to you know 175 to two. I, I think the market's going to like that. Um, I think the the environment that we're getting to, where if yields start to break down below the levels that you know 135 to 120, you know that that's a sign that the break even and in inflation uh, and the trends there on one year, two year, five year uh, break even inflation yeah. dynamics are, are things that are going to be weighing down the market. And I think look, the jury's still out here right now. This is really about a liquidity rally and, and a case where the consumer is pent up. And there are those dynamics, those trades we just discussed, where you have reopening dynamics for, uh, you know, airlines, for example, if you look at Delta, you know, struggling here, kind of right at this level around $40, but pressing through over the last couple of days. These are trades that I actually think are, are still trades to follow through with fundamentals in the best of breed companies, especially in the airline yeah. space. It's well said, Tim. And just wait till international travel. It is open, but it is not nearly what it was. That's the big money ticket. All the numbers that Steve gave are for mostly domestic. I mean, it is just absolutely bonkers. By the way, if you are going to the airport in the next two days, leave really early. I mean, super early. All right. <laughs> Your next guest expects the market to have another winning year. Sort of. Because parts of the market are going to do a lot better than other parts. Let's dive into the parts and find the tasty bits. Adam Parker is the CEO of Triverite Research. He was, of course, the chief U.S. equity strategist at Morgan Stanley. We're happy to have him back on Fast Money. Adam, you listened to our conversation just now. What did we miss? What are we missing, maybe, if anything, about this macro market? Yeah, look, I'm optimistic on U.S. equities. The way I look at it, Brian, is, you know, um, earnings uh, will probably be around to, I think the consensus is $223 in S&P earnings next year, which means about 21 times forward earnings. Even if the numbers are a little bit too high, 21, 22 times, I think that's pretty attractive risk reward 
for a market that offers, you know, one and a half percent dividend, maybe a one percent net buyback. And then on top of that, you know, some organic earnings growth. So I, I think the risk reward is pretty good for equities. I, I've probably been bullish for most of the last decade. And I just try to focus on what could really derail uh, the earnings outlook. I think that's the real risk to focus on. Yeah. Okay. So earnings then. We've heard about the Fed. We talked about bond yields. We can do, I guess, Dow theory, Adam, if you want to do that. Um, how much does a one and a half percent or even one seven five if it goes up yield play into that? We talk about earnings yield all the time as well. Does the 10 year note matter to your earnings forecast at all? I mean, obviously, it impacts the you know uh, companies directly there that borrow and, and lend and capitalize on the spread, the banking sector, insurance, select services, payrolls, et cetera. I generally am of the mindset, though, that higher yields mean the economy is strong. And when the economy is strong, corporate earnings tend to grow. So I don't really like the logic that we're anywhere near some tipping point where higher yields would you know, foul up the earnings outlook. I think when you want to call a market top, you should focus on two things, hubris and debt. Hubris meaning management arrogance gone awry, right? You know, too much capital spending, too much hiring, too much inventory, hiring too many fancy MBAs at the top of the cycle, those, those kind of things. And when I really look through the market, I don't see a lot of excess in that regard. I think the key thing to focus on will be in areas like semiconductors and industrials, backlogs and book to build. Black backlogs basically are, hey, I've been short product. I can't produce because of supply chain issues. Let me order more out in the backlog in the future. And at some point, those numbers in the backlog won't be real. And I think that'll be you know, a cautionary tale in those sectors of the market. Book to bill is how much did I ship versus how much did I just get ordered? And we've seen those numbers generally go from 1.5 to 1.08 to maybe 106. So we're still not quite producing at consumption in most of the you know, you know, kind of cyclical areas and industrials and semiconductors. I think when we get to that point next year, then we have to, you know, kind of look more cautiously at where earnings expectations are more achievable. You know, what the panel said earlier, I totally agree with is it's always a barbell within the U.S. equity market, right? You're always trying to find attractive risk reward based on estimate achievability. And so a lot of our work focuses on, hey, where do we think the estimates are more achievable? Energy and materials. Where are they less achievable? Industrials. Maybe more achievable consumer services, maybe less achievable in staples. Those kind of pair trades always make sense to try to beat the overall market. Adam, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. Where do corporate profits uh, need to be fearful about inflation and margin squeeze? Because, you know, ultimately, I I think that hasn't really been priced in and and corporate profits have have been really running with excess margin. Yeah, I think the area I'm most worried about is machinery and and capital goods where, um, you know, you've seen some of the industrial economic activity roll over a little bit, industrial production and others. I think people got a little too optimistic about um, you know, maybe the infrastructure bill impacting these companies in the near term. Um, and so you have a lot of companies that have record margins and are forecasted to have record margins even above and beyond there. And they're probably subject to logistics and transportation costs, materials costs, you know, labor shortages, et cetera. So I, I think, you know, machinery and capital goods are probably, you know, probably the most susceptible. You know, I did, I do like the point you guys made earlier about, um, some tech co- companies that have pricing power. I don't like the, you know, the profitless software companies don't make sense to me. But I think about this a lot in my own small business. Um, who do I pay, right? I pay Salesforce.com for my client relationships. I pay ADP for payroll, United Health for healthcare. I pay Microsoft for Azure Compute and Storage. I pay SPGI for data. All those guys have pricing power over me, right? So I could see lots of you know areas in the market where they have pricing power, and that's the part of the barbell I would take along with you know energy and, and industri- uh, energy and materials, and I avoid 
industrials and, and staples and, and REITs that look riskier or more expensive or embedding too much of a recovery relative to what I think is reasonable. Watching the energy, watching the industrials, all the things that are sort of in that supply chain, as well as Adam Parker's own company supply chain. And by the way, Adam, I think I owe you an apology. I, I was thinking too much of my high school French. I, I Frenched <laughs> up your name. Try, yeah, yeah, let's try very just I call it Verite. Yeah, it's, it's not fancy. Just I like it. Uh, yeah, but uh, it just stands for three variables, you know, quant, so, macro, and fundamental, where I spend a lot of my background. I'll focus on equities. It's all right. I'll, I'll take it. Well, <laughs> je désolé. I apologize for the, for the chunking. Adam Parker, thank you. Appreciate Merry it. Merry Christmas, guys. Happy take holidays. Care. Happy New Year. Uh, Merry Christmas as well. All right, Steve Grasso. Let's go to you now. You heard what he had to say. Are you a believer in sort of the real stuff? <laughs> the, the energy stocks, the industrial so, stocks, the stuff, the companies you pay. Yeah. Yeah, but here, here's the problem, though. And I, and I agree I agree with him on everything that he had said. So I, I have, I have a, a, a significant portion of my portfolio in value names, and those are in chemical names or paper or container uh, packaging companies. The problem, though, is if rates do not rise, Brian, and you touched on this a little bit with the 10-year, if the 10-year stays flat, that value bucket is going to be worth less. People keep running into those four to six to eight names in the tech complex because it's the only ones they know of. They don't know the, the mid-cap uh, value names. So um, I, I think he's going to be right, but I think you need the large cap tech to make people feel comfortable pulls the whole market up and then you can get a little bit of rotation because if you look at the Nasdaq and the S&P they look fabulous yeah. you look at the Russell 2000 different story yeah but there's just so many amazing companies out there and we tend to focus we have limited time all these big names i like the idea of maybe digging a little deeper literally and figuratively to find some of these names merci Guasso. all right coming up which stocks should you wrap or scrap this holiday season? We're going to go play a festive game. Find out what names our traders would be gifting this year. Those stocking stuffers are straight ahead. Plus, we just talked about it. We're going to go a little deeper because why not? I'm sitting here. Energy on the move. What does the recent rise in oil mean other than oil prices are on the rise? Those details and the trades around them all coming up next. Fast Money back in two. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Well, here is a very serious story that happened today. Looking at images from ExxonMobil's Baytown Refinery that is right on the outskirts of Houston. It is the fourth biggest refinery in America, and it caught fire at one o'clock this morning. It took nearly nine hours to put out. Exxon says its production capacity does remain stable, but a few workers were indeed injured. Sending good wishes out to them and their families, but all in all, certainly could have been a lot worse in what has been a string of major industrial accidents. Well, all this is oil prices continue to rise off the recent lows, moving higher for the third day in a row as we head into the holiday weekend. Now more than 4% this week. Tim, your take structurally on the energy market, energy stocks, or whatever. Yeah, structurally, I, I think supply-demand dynamics uh, certainly continue to favor the demand side, uh, both because supply seems to have uh, very strong consensus and at least um, compliance among OPEC plus. And, and, and certainly coming out of the last meeting where um, they, you know, they set price increases uh, with a review in January, left themselves a lot of optionality. And at least for now, the Russians and OPEC are getting along. And I think that's been obviously very bullish for oil prices demand side of the equation, I think, is, is, is also bullish into next year. If you listen to the IEA, um, you're still talking about, you know, two to two and a half to three percent growth. Most of that coming out of the emerging world who really has no other choice. So um, I like the setup here. Um, I realize that, that a lot of people are very skeptical. But the most important thing about investing in energy right now is that the companies are run differently. And to me, you know, you talk about Exxon, you know, the great irony is that, of course, Exxon um, is really uh, trying to be a lot more like Chevron. Who would have thought that 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Um, but but Exxon ultimately is trying to run more efficiently. CapEx will have come down dramatically, probably 16 to 18 billion next year. They can break even uh, from a dividend perspective at thirty five dollar oil. So um, that's attractive to me. Yeah. And by the way, what the Saudi energy minister has, has said is that there are decades or years, whatever, of underinvestment in, in fossil fuels. They're not going away anytime soon. But what's amazing has been the price of the oil stocks has not anywhere near kept up with the rise in the price of oil. People just, they hate the oil stocks. They've been burned on them for a decade. Do you think they're finally going to start turning around, or is this going to be dead money again for the next few years? Well, you are seeing some follow through, right? And, uh, you know, ESG for one is going to continue to be somewhat of an overhang. But uh, to Tim's point, there has been there have been a bit of a change in posture in terms of CapEx and efficiency. So the, the, you're just going to have to kind of find a balance there, right? The, the, the old ways, the old guard definitely are going to have to transition. And you are seeing that. You're also seeing in the autos. EVs, you know, um, historical names like Ford and GM following suit. So there is going to continue to be some innovation. Clearly, there's some talking talking of your own book in terms of speaking about underinvestment. I mean, I think that's kind of like one of the oldest plays in the book. But th- there is um, there's un- there's there's underinvestment across the spectrum. Yeah, there is. And oil stocks have come up in the past year, but not nearly at the pace of the price of oil. All right. We've got a lot more to do, and we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Mega Meta Trends. What's the best way to invest in the metaverse? A top analyst joins us next with his best ways to play the space. And we're in the holiday spirit here. Our traders are looking at which stocks you should wrap or scrap from your portfolio. Don't be a Grinch and miss those names. You're watching Fast Money. We're back right after this. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Why don't we get virtual in real life? Because we have talked a lot on CNBC lately about what we all can expect from the metaverse this year. The metaverse, of course, that virtual reality world that Facebook and others are building out. So how does this all eventually play out? Julia Borston continues her series and is now looking at all the ways to invest in infrastructure of the metaverse. Brian, there are so many components of the metaverse where investors can get exposure. First, there are the chips that will power virtual experiences. Bernstein points to the potential for NVIDIA, the world's largest graphics and AI chips maker, and Qualcomm with its Snapdragon XR platform that connects virtual and physical spaces. Bernstein does have an outperform rating on both those stocks. Now, second, for VR to work, the network needs to be fast. So 5G is key. T-Mobile, Verizon, and AT&T's investments in Spectrum should pay off. And third, they're the original metaverse players, Meta Platform, Snap, and Roblox. Goldman Sachs highlights them as its key buy-rated stocks in the sector. Goldman forecasts that Meta Platforms, the company formerly known as Facebook, will invest about 5% of its market cap over the next three years, about $39 billion in new metaverse technology. Now, for broad exposure to this space, there are ETFs like this one, Meta, not to be confused with a company previously known as Facebook. That ETF includes a basket of 44 stocks with exposure to this space, including those that I've already mentioned. Now, companies really do seem eager to talk about what they're doing in the metaverse. There were a record 449 mentions of the metaverse in third quarter calls. That was up from 100 in the prior quarter. So we'll have to see if that trend continues. Brian, back over to you. All right, Julia Borston, thank you very much. Okay, so we have talked about a lot the big infrastructure players in this growing metaverse. And our next guest joins us now to try to break it all down and give us his latest read on a very real virtual world. Let's bring in now Jeffrey's analyst, Andrew Urquitz, a man who probably has one of the hardest jobs in all of finance because you're literally trying to build something out of nothing. I mean, this is this people say to me, what is the metaverse? I say, I don't know. But if I could imagine it, it's probably like the book Ready Player One, terrible movie, fantastic book. And I'm not going to guess how it plays out, except to know that maybe the underlying architecture seems like that would be almost the only sure thing, Andrew. Yeah, no, uh, thanks for having me, Brian. I, I, I wish everybody would answer the question, what is the metaverse with I don't know, because it's, it seems to be something different to everybody. Um, and, you know, Facebook likes to talk about it as a VR play. Um, 
the one thing that is certain, uh, like the previous uh, guest mentioned, is infrastructure is going to be very big here. Um, and quite frankly, because no one really knows yet what the metaverse will be, uh, everyone's still kind of building their own sort of thing. So companies like Roblox could benefit. Traditional companies like uh, the video game companies could easily benefit from the technologies. Uh, and in fact, arguably, they're probably best positioned at this point and nobody talks about it. Yeah, do we do we want to gamble on some of the companies that are trying to make money in the metaverse, not on the metaverse, Andrew? Yeah. What I mean by that is the difference between the companies who build the asphalt for real roads and the companies that put up a billboard that you look at on the road and hopefully then will go buy their product. It's not going to be any different virtually or in the real world, is it? No, I mean, if you take Roblox, for example, you you have companies like Nike, Vans, Forever 21, uh, building experiences right into Roblox. And by the way, some of these companies have been doing this for years. This idea that Metaverse is fairly new um, is probably, it's probably wrong. Nike's been in NBA 2K with a virtual store for years. Um, and in fact, NBA 2K probably gets more traffic uh, than Roblox does for the, the Nike, virtual Nike store. Uh, and so to your point, there, as we go and build this, uh, it very well may be best to, uh, to what, we, what we call buy the picks and shovels um, that are ultimately going to build whatever this metaverse will ultimately be. Yeah, but Andrew, is it right to say this again? I don't know a lot about the metaverse or yeah. children, but I have a couple of the, the, the latter, not the former. And I know this, when things become overly commercialized, they instantly become uncool. I mean, that is a, are yeah, these yeah, brands going to boom because they're in Roblox? Yeah, no, I think you bring up a really great point. Um, and this is one reason why we're somewhat cautious in the near term and, and trying not to get caught up in all the buzz. Because if you take... The brands in, in Roblox, and again, extraordinarily early, but the data was suggest that maybe the kids don't want to do the branded thing. Vans had a lot of users. Nike Land had fewer, and the most recent experience has even fewer. Um, and so, again, we're still very early. Um, I think you're going to have a lot of companies trying to build something here um, and at the very least leverage the technology. And, and one of the things that we talk about, yeah. and back to your earlier point around Ready Player One, if people think Ready Player One is going to be here tomorrow, um, they're, they're completely wrong. Uh, there have been companies trying to build Ready Player One for years. Some of them do not exist anymore. Um, a lot of these builders started in Second Life, Club Penguin, World of Warcraft. Like this idea of virtual worlds is not necessarily new. The, it's going to be a real slog to get from where we are today to to something even remotely like uh, a Ready Player One. Uh, in the meantime, there might be ways uh, to yeah. play this space uh, based on companies who are kind of using the technology that will eventually get us there. Uh, you know, and use that in, in today's applications, whether that's the data centers, whether that's the video game names, they're making their games more engaging, yeah. maybe not truly metaverse, but more engaging. Um, so there definitely are, I think, ways to play it, but it's going to be very tricky. And I think anyone who thinks, you know, like I said, Ready Player One is going to happen tomorrow uh, is probably wrong. Yeah, but I, I, you know where we will be right, Andrew, and, we'll, and we appreciate your time. I have a feeling Ready Player One, the book, and the movie are going to move up the charts in their respective categories over the next couple of days, weeks, and months. And everybody's like, what the hell are they talking about? Ready Player One. Andrew Urquitz exactly. and Jeffries, exactly right. thank you very much. Thank you, guys.
You know, Grasso, I don't want to date. I don't want to date us, my friend, but I'm old enough to remember Lycos, Excited Home, right? Pets.com, 1996. It's New World, Real Life's Dead. All that company, they became dead money. They wiped out investors. They got bought at deep discounts. How do you see this playing out? So when, when Andrew was talking about a bunch of the gaming stocks, you could just hit up their year-to-date performance. And for whatever reason, they, they can't get out of their own way. They should have been acquisition targets for, for Apple, for Netflix, for Google, for Facebook. They just haven't figured out how to transition. And I don't think this is going to be any different. Then when you come up with a company that invented or I should say that leveraged the name Meta, Facebook, they're only up 22% year to date. So it's never the ones that you think are going to really optimize. I think he could be right with an NVIDIA, which is already up 127% year to date, or an AMD, which is up 60% year to date. The key, though, is I think Apple is never really first at, at innovation, but they're great at perfecting ideas that other people innovate so I, th- I have a sneaky suspicion. I'm long Apple. I've been long Apple for a while. I continue to stay long. I think they'll be the ones who actually leverage the metaverse better than anyone else. Yep. And that's why you'll probably see the stock double from here and everyone will scratch their heads and say, wow, I missed it again. It's going to be big computing and it's going to be big energy. It's going to take all that if we are going to run... The Oasis, like for the book. By the way, you know who the first to leverage this was? Ron Artest, Meta World Peace, 20 years ago. (laughs) Guy's a genius. All right, coming up. (laughs) Casino stocks surge. Big money. Contessa Brewer is here with her take and the news to know now. Plus, we are counting down to Christmas and feeling a little festive here on Fast Money. There's no humbugs. Our traders have made their list. They've checked it twice. Names they're going to wrap or scrap. This holiday season, what stocks made the list? Well, you got to stay tuned to find out. All right, welcome back, everybody. Hope you're having a great night. Some stocks making this a December to remember. Let's check out the gains on names like Broadcom, Carnival, CVS, Visa, and Coca-Cola, all certainly on Santa's list with solid month-to-day performance. So we thought this would be the perfect time to play a little game of... No idea what that was. All right, but the game is called Wrap It or Scrap It. It's a holiday-themed version of Trade It or Fade It. Hate to see what you guys do for, like, I don't know, Easter. All right, let's start kick it off with this. Carnival, up almost 20% this month. Tim, kick things off. Would you wrap it? Or would you scrap the cruise line? First of all, I'm rapping whosoever kids did that recording. That was amazing. And it gets me <laughs> fired up for, for, for Christmas morning. I mean, that was awesome. Uh, look, Carnival Cruise, I, I, I hate to say it, but I'm scrapping it. Uh, I, I think <laughs> as much as we've had a great run, I, I think, <laughs> yeah, I know, kind of sad. But I, I think it's a combination of, uh, I just think that there are better places to go in, in the travel space at this point. And, and, yeah, I get it, and we've heard this. And I, I've even been bullish on the opportunity uh, over the last couple of days as we've talked on this show about it. But I think ultimately Carnival, relative to airlines, relative to Expedia, uh, rather be there. I'm scrapping. Tim, you may be the only one to get that. That, that animation sounds like the kids in the Modesky Martin and Wood song, Where's the music? Bonwin Ice, that's an obscure reference. Bonwin, wrap it or scrap it? 
Uh, I'm wrapping it, um, and, and I think Tim's yeah. right. I think there are there are other alternatives that you might like, but you hear that 20% pop recently, and really you kind of need to look at that in raw numbers, right? We're only talking about a couple of dollars, and if you look over the last few years, I mean, I think this thing has really been beaten up. Now, it's got a great debt balance, or sorry, a large amount of great debt balance, but I think the negative sentiment is largely priced into the stock. I'm wrapping it. Hold on to it. All right, next Got it. All right, next up, CVS Health rallying 14% this month. Wow, Steve, would you wrap or scrap it? I'm going to scrap it. Ah. I, I want to let, there we go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so the stock is up roughly 50% year to date. I think the all-time high is maybe 12 or $13 higher than, uh, than where it's currently trading. So it's basically a 10% move from here I don't think it's a total negative future, Brian, but I feel as if they've played the hand they've had perfectly and the upside is limited from here. Yeah, look, I, I would be a wrap on this. I'd hate to disappoint those kids. I think they have a great primary care strategy and I think they Yay! hope to revolutionize health care. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right, here we go. Visa ringing up 12% higher this month. Bono and Eisen, are you wrapping or scrapping Visa? I guess I'm in the Christmas spirit. I'm wrapping this one as well. Yay! I mean, ultimately, it's really about the consumer. I see multiple pathways in terms, in terms of leverage on the consumer here, whether it be inflation or whether it be the reopening trade. And I think that all bodes well for payment processing and for um, credit card companies. So I'm wrapping this one. I, I'm, I'm going to actually scrap this one on Visa. And, and, and if you look at it longer term... It's definitely, I love that. It's definitely moved from the lower left to the upper right. I get that. But buy now, pay later seems to be whether it's realistically taking a chunk out of Visa and MasterCard or, or uh, just the optics of it. It seems that a firm is taking something away from those two companies. For me, it's a scrap. If you, and, right. and I'm going to throw in a would you rather here. A would you rather? I'd go with American Express. Because a firm and buy now, pay later is taking away from debit, not from credit. I like it there. Throw it, combining games. All right, Steve, thank you very much. Right up next, Contessa Brewer is here with the casino stocks and news to know. Plus, options traders betting on some new highs ahead in the healthcare space. We'll talk about it coming up. All right, welcome back. Let's talk gambling and let's talk gaming stocks because they boom today. And it's not just for one particular reason, but there was some news out of China on the space. Get right now to Contessa Big Money Brewer for the details. I love Contessa, my new name. Okay? Yes, I love it. I'm going okay? to trademark it. And I'm going to use it. Thank you, Sully. That uh, report out of Macau is a bit of a nothing burger that managed to give these Macau casinos a nice little lift today. It presents the public opinion over the concession renewal process the permitting process that allows these casinos to operate. Basically, the commentary indicates the public wants more government oversight, more local control, but largely for things to remain status quo. This does not dictate what will happen. It's just how the people feel. Bernstein's analysts predict the government may move to amend the gaming law in January. That will be a big deal. That starts the process for new concessions. They have to finish that by uh, by June. Other news here, a Macau executive who reportedly said publicly that the bridge between Hong Kong and Macau could open within the next week 
to limited visitors. COVID is still this big near-term hurdle for a Vegas-style rebound in Macau. One other piece of gaming news I want to point out here, Brian. Scientific Games ended the day up 9% on news. It will not complete the full acquisition for the rest of SciPlay. This was part of its strategy to amp up its digital gaming offerings. It already owns 81% of that company. Reportedly, SciPlay's board did not like the all-stock offer as it stood. Scientific Games reportedly was not interested in negotiating SciPlay down 13%. You know, sometimes you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. You should put that into a song. Those are some good lines, <laughs> I would, but the, the lawyers get mad at me if I try to sing it, so I just let it alone. There you go. Good stuff. Contessa Brewer, we appreciate it. As always, my friend, thank you. That's why Contessa's the best. She literally says, guys, that the note is a nothing burger, but a lot of these stocks have done very, very well. Let's go around the horn now and trade the Steve Grasso kick it off. I mean, listen, to be fair, the casino names rose the same as the hotels and the airlines today. Everybody bought anything having to do with people going somewhere and spending some coin. Are, are you, are, do you think the recovery is going to happen faster in Macau or faster in Vegas. I'm of the belief that it'll happen faster in Vegas. I believe that people in the states that have never been to Vegas are more likely to be going to Vegas. They want to spice up a little bit of their vacation time. Uh, MGM is up 45% year to date. Uh, Las Vegas Sands that used to be my uh, favorite name there is down 35% year to date. I'd stay here. I'd stay local. I'd stay with MGM. Yeah. But, Tim, we got to be careful, right? China's been going after this COVID zero policy. And, man, they shut, when they shut things down, they shut them down. Look, it's in the price, Brian. I mean, these things, that it, it, price to EBITDA, however you want to look, sorry, EV, EBITDA to, to earnings, however you want to look at this, have been cut in half. They're trading, you know, roughly eight, nine times from 17, 18 times. Uh, I think you're in the price. I think the renewal process is, is to watch, but probably overdone. Travel mobility, I think, is coming back. Uh, and I, I'm long Las Vegas Sands. Bonham, what about you? Any take on the casino names? Yeah, MGM as well. You know, it's expensive. There's no doubt about that. But if you look at EV, EBITDA, or debt balances, anything of that nature, those credit metrics typically point to MGM for me. So I'm with Grasso on this one. No, you nailed it because it's up 15.5% this month. MGM, the best performer, Bonham, of all the casino names. All right, coming up. Why and where? One options traders making a big bet on healthcare. That's next. All right, let's get a sneak peek at the Kramer Cam. Jim is speaking with the CEO of Boxed. You can catch that full interview. And of course, the restaurant Mad Money at the top of the hour, 6 p.m. Eastern. And do not forget. You can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox every day with the CNBC Investing Club. Sign up now with all the info right there on your screen or just point your camera at that QR code. All right. In the meantime, there was a lot of bullish options activity across healthcare today heading into the holiday weekend. Let's hope that's not a sign. Mike Coe joining us now to break it all down. Mike, what are you seeing? Yeah, so we were taking a look at XLV. That's the healthcare ETF. Now, overall in the options markets today, we did see slightly lower options volumes, but not in XLV. XLV traded 10 times its average call volume today, and that was largely the result of some opening activity in the January 142, 147 call spread. We saw 
over 40,000 of those trade for an average of about 85 cents. I suspect this may be pressing a bullish bet because we also saw a significant amount of activity in the 135 calls. And that open interest has been open basically in three big tranches, June, September, and November. I think somebody is pressing their bullish bet here. All right, Mike, thank you very much. Uh, Bono and Eisen, why don't we trade this? What do you think? Yeah, I like the trade. I mean, I mentioned it a few shows back, and ultimately it really plays into that barbell approach. Um, I, up and to the right, I'm a buyer. Steve? You know what's interesting to me? When you look at the XLV, it's up 23% or so year to date. I'm looking at the XBI and the IBB. Let's see when biotech can get its groove back. I'm looking for the underperforming space. COVID and pharmaceutical stocks took the limelight. Let's see if the XBI and the IBB can get something back together again. All right, like getting the band back together again. Good stuff there. All right, for more options action, be sure to tune in for the full show. Now, it's not this Friday. It is next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. But up next here, your final trades. All right, it is time now for the final trades. Why don't we go around the horn? Tim Seymour, kick us off. Brian, Joao Noel, if I may. Uh, and, and along with that, <laughs> electronic arts. We have, uh, I think, a margin story that's increasing. We had very good numbers out of 2Q. Bad it filled better. Uh, love it. I think Joao Noel was a fashion designer. Joao Noel also. Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso. What's your final trade? <laughs> So I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with a classic here. Very well done, Tim. I'm going to go with a classic here. It's it's Apple. For all the reasons I mentioned about the metaverse, the, this is a company that perfects everything that's out there. Yeah. They lower the bar for themselves and they wind up leaping over it. Apple is my final trade. And Merry Christmas to you, the gents Mich- on the desk, and everyone else out there. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Michelle Eisen with his Joanne Noel tie. Bonwin. <laughs> Tripling down here, XLV, technical setup, wants to break through 140. Options are telling you the same Thank you all, guys. Merry Christmas to everybody out there. Appreciate you watching. Mad Money is next. Have a great day. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.